Heavenly Father, we ask that your hand would be ready to help us now by the Holy Spirit. O oh Lord, we have chosen to look at your word together this morning, but Lord, we need your Holy Spirit if we are to understand it. And so, Lord, we pray that he would be moving amongst us now, helping us to understand your word so that we can live for your honour. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, we continue our series in the book of Micah, and we've been learning about how God is very unhappy with the people of Israel and how he is bringing judgment upon them. And that includes uh, sending them into exile, that they will be uh, decimated, many of them will be killed, and then people will be taken in exile, uh, particularly to Babylon. And so the people of Israel will be scattered. But nonetheless, there will be a remnant, that there will be people who will be left over after God's judgment has swept through the land. And we have to ask then, what will happen to this remnant? What will the remnant be like? What will the people of God be like as they have been scattered through the world and particularly many of them taken into Babylon, the Babylonian Empire? And that's where Micah gives us a word from the Lord, what the remnant of Israel will be like. And we see this in verses 7 and 8 of Micah chapter 5. Look with me again at Micah chapter 5, reading from verse 7, and ask the question, what will the remnant of Israel, of Jacob, be like? Well, we read in verse 7, the remnant of Jacob will be in the midst of many peoples, so scattered throughout the world. What will they be like? Like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass which do not wait for man or linger for mankind. What are the people of Israel going to be like as they're scattered throughout the Babylonian Empire? They're going to be like dew from the Lord, like light rain, like showers on grass. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean that they'll be like dew from the Lord? Well, dew and light rain, we understand, are the perfect conditions for seed to germinate and to grow. If you have seed in the ground and you want it to grow, you must water it. And if you think of seed, if you lay down some grass seed and you want to grow a lawn, you must water that grass seed if you want it to grow. And it can't be heavy rain that you want to come on that seed. You want very heavy dew, maybe, or light rain to come. Because if you have too much rain, too much water, of course, uh, it will not uh, help the new plant that comes along. It'll drown it. But here we see that the people of God are going to be like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, like light showers on the grass, to help people to grow and to have life. That is what is being said here. By the people of God being scattered throughout the world in exile, they will be people who bring life to the many nations of the world that are part of the Babylonian Empire would be the immediate fulfilment of this. Now, how will the people of God bring life? How will they be like Jew from the Lord? Well, one way is that they'll bring physical life to people that are around them. Of course, the people of God, if this is the remnant, these are the true people of Israel who God is protecting even as he takes them into exile. If they love the word of God and the laws of God, they will promote physical life. How do we see this? Well, of course, the law of God encourages justice. It encourages justice that makes sure that the guilty are condemned, but also it encourages mercy to the innocent and to, and to those who are in dire straits. If you read through the Old Testament law, you see the concern that the law has to protect people, to con consider those who are particularly weak and vulnerable. And so as the people of God are scattered out throughout the Babylonian Empire and further parts of the earth, we understand that if they keep the law of God, well, they will help promote physical life. They'll make sure that the poor are looked after. They'll make sure that the guilty are punished. 
as they keep God's law. But of course, one of the, the main way that God's people will bring life to many nations, that they will be like Jew from the Lord, is by the way that they bring eternal life. Because we understand that common grace extended by God to people who are outside of God's kingdom, who are not part of the people of God, they also can have a sense of justice. They also can have a sense of looking after the poor. They can promote physical life, the physical life we enjoy here in Australia. It's not just because there's Christians in Australia, it's because there's a common grace exercised by people who are outside the kingdom. But common grace does not bring eternal life. It does not bring eternal life. It is only by the Spirit in God's people that people can have eternal life. Why is that? Well, we understand that all humans, they've rebelled against God. They've all sinned against God. They've all broken his law. They've all rejected him. And they all deserve to be punished for eternity in hell, the second death that the Bible speaks so clearly about, the punishment that we all deserve in hell. We ask, can people, can sinners turn to God? Can they help themselves out of this dire predicament? No. We understand that sin blocks access to God. The sinner cannot make a move towards God. He is dead in his sins. He cannot move towards God and have eternal life. So how are sinners forgiven? How can they be forgiven? Well, it's only by faith in God's sacrifice of Christ Jesus. That God has made a way of atonement to bring two people who are at war with one another at one moment again, and that is God and a sinner, to bring them together. It has to be through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But how will the world know about the way of salvation? How will they know that there is a way, that Jesus Christ is the sacrifice by which they can be saved. Well, it's only by the people of God. This is the way that God has ordained it. That is by the people of God with their, the Holy Spirit in them speaking about the sacrifice of Christ Jesus, about the way of atonement through Christ, that they can have eternal life and be forgiven. And we see this clearly spoken of in Romans chapter 10. Turn with me to the New Testament, to Romans chapter 10. We'll go to a few different passages in the Bible today, so have them uh, handy before you. Romans chapter 10 and verse 11. Verse 11. Romans chapter 10, verse 11. The Apostle Paul writes, As the Scripture says, Anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. See there, the message of salvation. Anyone who trusts in God will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. It doesn't matter which nation you belong to. If the person of God comes along and tells you to call upon God's name and trust in him and you do, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they hear? Well, we read in verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How are people to be saved? It is by the people of God being sent... And as they are sent, they then preach. And as they preach, people hear. And as people hear, they believe. And so what are the people of God like? As God scatters his faithful remnant throughout the earth, they're like dew, heavy dew, that waters the seed as it comes out. And 
like showers falling on grass. The world is parched, and it is as the people of God are scattered out throughout the world that they receive dew from the Lord. They receive life from the Lord. Now, has this happened? Is this true? Has it worked? Well, yes, throughout history, many people again and again have heard the Spirit speak through God's people about the sacrifice that is found in Christ Jesus. And people have received eternal life. They've heard that if they call on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. And so they've come and called upon the name of the Lord. They've trusted in God. They may not have understood everything about the Messiah and the work of God in the sacrifice, but they believe that God had a way for them to be saved. And we see a testimony to that on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, we see people from all different backgrounds, with all different languages there, worshipping God and then hearing about Christ Jesus and then trusting in Christ Jesus as the way of salvation. And we still see it today as Christians are scattered throughout the world, even to Sydney, Australia. People here in a parched land, in a parched state, a parched city like ours, they hear that there is a way of salvation in Christ Jesus. And they trust in Christ Jesus and are saved. And so the Christians here in Sydney extended long distance from Israel, they are receiving heavy dew from the Lord. They are receiving what is a shower of blessing from God as Christians are scattered throughout the city of Sydney. But what else are the Christians like? What else are the people of God like as they're scattered throughout the world? Well, we read in the next verse in Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5, turn back with me there. Micah chapter 5, verse 8. Another illustration is given for what the people of God are like. Verse 8. The remnant of Jacob will be among the nations, in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which mauls and mangles as it goes, and no one can rescue. What are the people of God like as they're scattered throughout the world, as they're scattered as exiles as a remnant throughout the world? Well, they're said to be a lion, like a young lion among flocks of sheep, which mauls and mangles as it goes and no one can rescue. Now, this is puzzling for us because it seems to be the opposite of the previous verse. The previous verse indicated that the people of God, as they're scattered throughout the world, would bring life. But here in verse 8, it appears that the people of God, as they're scattered throughout the world, bring death. So how are God's people like a lion? How are they like a lion? Well, for unbelievers, the message that we bring about the judgment of God is one that stokes fear in them, and they consider the people of God to be dangerous, dangerous like a lion. Why are unbelievers so concerned when they hear the message that God's people bring? Well, it's because they fear the loss of the things that they cherish and trust in. And so, of course, they are afraid. What sort of things do people cherish and trust in that God speaks in judgment of if we trust in them? Well, we read in the following verses. Uh, look from verse 9. It says, Your hand will be lifted up in triumph over your enemies and all your foes will be destroyed. In that day, declares the Lord, I will destroy your horses from among you and demolish your chariots. I will destroy the cities of your land and tear down all your strongholds. What is the message that the people of God convey as they scattered throughout the world? It's a message that if you trust in material things, God will strip you of them. 
He will take away your horses. He will take away your chariots. He will take away your cities and your strongholds. And people are afraid to lose the material wealth that they have and the material things that they trust in. And he continues. What else does he strip away? Verse 12. I will destroy your witchcraft and you will no longer cast spells. He takes away the occult and the witchcraft that they trust in to save them as they try to cast spells to keep themselves safe. And then verse 13, I will destroy your carved images and your sacred stones from among you. You will no longer bow down to the work of your hands. He will uproot from among you your Asherah poles and demolish your cities. I will take vengeance in anger and wrath upon the nations that have not obeyed me. As people hear the message that the remnant of God takes out throughout the world, they're afraid. They're afraid of what they will lose because of God's judgment that is coming upon them. Because they have not obeyed God, they will lose their material prosperity, which they trust in so highly. They will lose, if they engage in the witchcraft and the occult, they will lose that and they will lose the idols that they cherish so much. And of course, then they also fear the loss of themselves, that they will be destroyed, not just the things that they trust in, but all of their life will be destroyed as God's judgment falls upon them. And deep down, they know it's true. Deep down, they know it's true. And so they're afraid. They're scared. And even as they hear this message coming from God's people, they therefore are worthy of even more condemnation, more pain, because they have heard the message of salvation. They've heard the message of judgment of God. And instead of being obedient to God, They continue in their wicked ways. And so what do people do when they hear this message to Christians? They treat the Christian as a dangerous lion. As a dangerous lion. They don't want to repent and make friends with the lion. They consider the lion to be one that mauls and mangles as it goes. And no one can rescue you from it. And so what do they do instead of turning from their wicked ways? They attack the Christian. Or they avoid, avoid, avoid the Christian. If they can get away, that's what you do with a lion, isn't it? You run away from it. You keep your distance. But if you can't do that, you attack. You attack. What do people do with a lion? Well, they will shout at the lion. They'll cage the lion or they'll put the lion to death. Is that what people do with Christians? Yes. Yes. Again and again we see through church history that as people encounter the people of God... As the people of the world encounter the people of God, they either avoid as highly as they can, they avoid church gatherings, absolutely, they avoid Christians as much as they can, or at least with the Christians you avoid conversation about God and about the judgment to come. Or, if you can't do that, you attack. You shout at the Christians. Try and cage the Christians. Put them in jail. If you can't do that, You put them to death. And so you treat them as a lion which mauls and mangles as it goes and no one can rescue from it. So what are Christians like? What are the people of God like? They're like Jew. That gives life. But they're also like a lion which is very dangerous. And see, this is what we understand we are as Christians, is that we are life and death simultaneously. And that's what the Apostle Paul writes in that passage that we had read for us before from 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. 
To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. To some people we are the smell of death, to others we are the fragrance of life. We can be both at the same time, depending on how people react to the message that we bring, the message of judgment, but also the message of salvation in Christ Jesus. And we see examples like this. It sounds impossible, but we see examples of this again and again in history and even in the Bible, of course. An example of this is in the book of Acts in the town of Ephesus. I encourage you to turn with me now. I'll read from there now. Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. The Apostle Paul is in Ephesus, and we see uh, the response that the people have there, and we can see a response of life, but we can also see a response of death amongst the people who are in Ephesus. Ephesus, uh, sorry, Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 19, and I'll read from verse 18. Acts chapter 19, reading from verse 18. So the Apostle Paul has been speaking about the Lord Jesus. Uh, Lots of people have been hearing. I'll actually read from verse 17. Verse 17 of Acts chapter 19. Acts 19, reading from verse 17. Uh, So an incident has occurred uh, which holds the name of Jesus quite highly. And then we read in verse 17, When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. And what's the response? Verse 18. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. See the response there? A response of life. The message of salvation that's come through the Apostle Paul, person of God, is the destruction of witchcraft in the town of Ephesus. But we go on, verse 21. After this, all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I've been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia, while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. So he's staying there. He's scattering some of his uh, uh, helpers uh, throughout the rest of the world. Uh, but what happened then in verse 23? We've had such a good response in Ephesus What happens in verse 23 and following? About that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in no little business for the craftsmen. He called them together, along with the workmen in related trades, and said, Men, you know we we receive a good income from this business, and you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. See what Demetrius is concerned about? Material loss but also the loss of idolatry. What's the response of the men that he's gathered together? Verse 28, when they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and rushed as one man into the theater. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theatre. 
The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews pushed Alexander to the front and some of the crowd shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. See the response here in Ephesus? You've got a whole group of people who love to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ and destroy by their own volition, by their own desire, the witchcraft that they've been engaging in. Then you've got this whole other group who consider Paul and his companions not as Jew from heaven, certainly not. They consider him a dangerous lion. And what do you do with a dangerous lion? You shout, shout, shout for about two hours, and then hopefully you might be able to cage the lion up, and maybe even we can get that lion put to death and really eradicate the problem. Here's an example in history of how the people of God are due from heaven in a city, but also considered a dangerous lion in a city at the same time. So what am I to you now? As I'm here and I'm preaching God's message to mankind about sin and about judgment of God on sinners, but also that there is a way of salvation found in Christ Jesus, that if you repent of your sins and trust in Jesus, you can be forgiven and have eternal life. What is your response? What am I to you now? Do you consider me to be due from heaven? Or do you consider me to be a dangerous lion? What is your immediate response? Am I due from heaven to you now? You smell eternal life, that I'm a fragrance of life to you now, and that you can have eternal life in Christ Jesus. Do you desire to trust in Jesus and have that life eternal that comes through him and him alone? Or are you frightened of me? You think, this is not good, what I'm hearing. You're frightened of me, as you would be frightened of a lion. You smell blood, and you smell death. You smell death for some of the things that you trust in, and you smell death for your own self. You fear the loss of your idols, your money, your possessions, your friends, and your family. You fear the eternal punishment in hell, and you want nothing to do with those who talk of such judgment. Do you want to be rid of me even now? Avoid, avoid, avoid. Or even if you can, persecute. You may say, oh, I'm neutral. I, I don't really treat you as Jew. I don't treat you as a lion. That's not true. You can't help it. You can't help it. As a Christian like myself comes and speaks the message that we have for mankind that's come from God, it is inevitable that either I am Jew or I'm a lion. And that's what the text says in Micah chapter 5. Turn back with me to Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5, reading from verse 7. The remnant of Jacob will be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which do not wait for man or linger for mankind. Does dew wait for someone to say, you can now come and water my grass? No, it doesn't. It just comes and it waters, whether you like it or not. And so as I come and preach to you now, if God desires to have you to be part of his kingdom, you will smell life and you will repent and trust as the Holy Spirit works upon your heart. 
You say, I'm neutral, I don't smell life, and I don't smell death. Well, what do we read in the next verse, verse 8? The remnant of Jacob will be among the nations in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among flocks of sheep, which mauls and mangles as it goes, and no one can rescue. Same idea there at the end of verse 8 that we see at the end of verse 7. As you can't say to Jew, no, wait until I'm ready for you. You can't do that with a lion either. He just comes and no one can rescue if you're vulnerable. And so you can't say I'm neutral here this morning. None of you can say that you're not Jew, Joel, and you're not a lion. I'm one or the other. I'm either being used of God to draw you to him or you're being condemned and no one will be able to rescue you unless you come to Christ Jesus, unless the Holy Spirit works upon your heart now. And I say this to you children as well. It's wonderful that you can still tune in via Zoom. This is a message for you as well. You can't say, I don't care about Christ. I, can't ca- I don't care about Jesus. I don't care about God. If you're doing that, indication is that you're treating Christianity as a line and avoiding, avoiding the message that is coming. And it's because you don't want to acknowledge that there's someone in charge of your life as well, and that is God, and he will do with you as he will. Come to Christ Jesus. Don't avoid all of you who have never come to Christ Jesus before. If you have been treating Christianity as something that is unpalatable and like a lion, you've been avoiding or even attacking Christianity in the past, Come to Christ Jesus. Trust in him. Trust what about Jesus Christ? Trust that he was mauled and mangled at the cross so that you would not have to be mauled and mangled for eternity in hell. That the lion seized Christ in his paws as the lamb of God and tore him asunder so that you would not be torn for all eternity in hell. But if you're a Christian and you love the Lord Jesus, and he has been the fragrance of life to you as you've heard the message through another Christian at some point, and and on and on as you've heard other Christians testify to the fragrance of life that is in Christ Jesus. How do we continue this difficult task of being both Jew and a lion at the same time? It seems contradictory there in verse 7 and 8 of Micah chapter 5 that we are a blessing but also a curse to people at the same time. How do we do this? Well, you may say, oh, it's not that difficult a task. But Paul acknowledges it's a difficult task. Turn back with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, that passage that Josh read for us earlier. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, reading from verse 16. Verse 16, where he says... To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Another way you can translate that, if you know your King James, you'd be familiar with this verse. Who is sufficient for such a task? Or you could translate it competence. Who is competent, as some translations have, for such a task? It is a difficult task. Why is it so difficult? Well, it's certainly a joy, let's face it. To be Jew, to be shower, like a shower on grass for people who receive the message of eternal life. It is a joy to see people 
embrace Jesus Christ and to know the joy that we have of having eternal life. It's a joy. But what a sorrow it is for us as we speak about the good news of Jesus Christ. We speak about the bad news of judgment. We speak about the good news. And instead of seeing people embrace it, we see them reject it. And they don't just reject the message, they reject the messenger very often as well and treat us as a lion. And what do they do with lions? They avoid us. They may even speak messages of hate. And in certain parts of the world, they do far more than speak. They hurt, they cage, and they even put to death lions like you and me. And so it's a hard task. It's a difficult task for us to continue to be a fragrance of life, but also to be treated as a lion by people. So how do we keep on with the task? We're just trying to help people. It's like we're going into a burning building and we're saying to people, you need to get out. And what do they do? Instead of getting out, they attack us. How do we do this job? How do we do the job that the remnant of God has done as it's been scattered throughout the world through the centuries? Well, Paul tells us, where does our sufficiency, our competence, how can we be equal to such a task? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 tells us. Turn with me to the next chapter of 2 Corinthians, chapter 3, verse 5. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence, our ability, our sufficiency comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Where does our sufficiency come from for such a task? To be the smell of death, but also the fragrance of life at the same time. It comes from God. The Spirit gives us ability. The Spirit gives us the strength to keep on going, despite the fact that people will attack us as we're just trying to help them escape the burning fires of hell for eternity. The Spirit gives us perseverance to keep going. And that's what we need to do when we're struggling, to continue witnessing as people have rejected us again and again, what do we do? We go to God in prayer and ask for his help. That's what Scriven's hymn tells us in What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee, take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee, take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. Where does our competence come from? Where does our sufficiency come from? It comes from God. So when do we feel in, when we feel insufficient, when we feel incompetent to be fragrance of life and the smell of death at the same time, what do we do? We go to God in prayer. We ask for the Spirit's strength. We ask for the Spirit's wisdom. And we ask for a few people to accept the message, to accept us as due for our encouragement. One thing that really helps us to keep going is to see the Spirit use us and the message that we have to change a life so that someone now has eternal life and no longer faces eternal death. Now, what about if you see that you're not due and you're not aligned to anyone? 
No one is receiving life through your efforts. But no one is really avoiding you either. They're not treating you like a lion. What should you do? Well, you can consider why is that? Why is it that no one sees you as a fragrance of life and no one really smells death upon you either? Is it that you're not due or a lion because you're not actually a Christian? You're not part of the remnant of God. If you're not sharing the gospel with others and seeing people saved or seeing people treat you as a lion, is it because you've never accepted the message before, yourself before? You've been avoiding the message yourself. You've been treating Christianity as a lie, even as you may have been calling yourself a Christian. If there's any possibility that's the case, if your lack of evangelism demonstrates that you may not actually be saved at all, then come to Christ now. Come to Christ now. Trust that he was mangled on your behalf at the cross so that you have life in his name, and so that he is a fragrance of life to you now, rather than a fragrance of death that you've been avoiding for a long time. Let's come to God now, let's speak with him. Heavenly Father, we praise you as a God of justice. You are a God who punishes the wicked, and you punish them with all justice for eternity in hell. But you're also a God who shows mercy. You show mercy to those who trust in Christ Jesus as the precious Lamb of God who is mauled and mangled at the cross, on behalf of those who are trusting in him. And so, Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being dew and lions in this world, of being a fragrance of life and also a smell of death. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for not proclaiming the message as we should. Often it is because we fear persecution. We're sick of people treating us as lions and avoiding us and even hurting us. We're sick of being treated as ones who smell of death. So, Lord, we ask that you would strengthen us by your spirit to remain firm and wise. And, Lord, we pray that you would bring about many conversions through the message, your message, which you proclaim through us by your spirit. And, Lord, we pray for anyone who can hear my voice now. Oh, Lord, if they are people who have not accepted the gospel message, if they still treat your message as a dangerous message, they treat the people of God as a lion, oh Lord, humble them now and bring them to yourself. Help them to smell life rather than death in the gospel message. And so Lord, we pray that they would trust in you and have eternal life and share the joy that we know of looking forward to an eternal reward in heaven with yourself. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.